Hello, and welcome to Tech in Maine Presents. Thank you for joining another episode of Tech in Maine Presents, where we bring you the best insights from today's leaders and experts in technology. Today, we will be speaking with David Strom. He is a world-known expert on networking and communications technologies. David has worked extensively in the information technology and user computing industry and has managed editorial operations for trade publications in the network computing, electronics components, computer enthusiast, reseller channel, and security markets. He is also a frequent speaker at tech industry and business conferences around the world. David, say hello to the Tech and Main Presents audience. Hello, everybody, and thanks, Sean, for having me on your show. David, it's a pleasure, and I'm so excited for the time that we're going to share over the next few minutes. Without further ado, why don't you go ahead and share your background with our audience? Well, I think you basically summarized it quite nicely. I started out as an IT manager in both D.C. and then in L.A. back when PCs were first coming into businesses in the middle 1980s. Those were very heady times for the business. You know, back then, PCs cost roughly $5,000. They weren't networked. We didn't have the internet. We uh, had only a few applications. Computers had maybe 64 kilobits of RAM. And then maybe if you really spent a lot of money on them, you could get 600 kilobits. But it was fun because there was lots going on. There was a lot of vendors who were very, uh, you know, very innovative at the time. And uh, there was a lot of exciting things happening as we brought in those first computers to uh, to businesses. And you know, so over the years, I, I've written lots of articles. And what I try to do to differentiate myself is to actually use the products myself before I, I write anything about them. I think that's an important, important aspect because so often uh, you learn more about the product from when you're actually touching it. That's a good point. You, if you are a consumer of the product, then you're able to certainly um, share more about it because you're actually using it and you are a expert. You're eating your own cooking, as my grandmother would say. Right. And so, David, can you share with us what has you most excited about the work you do on a daily basis? Sure, Sean. So I say it's it's the ability to learn something new and figure out how these IT products work. And I learn something new every day. And that's what's very neat about this, even though I've been in the industry now for decades. And not surprisingly for you and I, is that they don't always live up to the vendor's hype. You know, the day, I know this, this is no surprise, but the day that vendors actually do live up to their claims will probably mean you and I will be out of work because we'll have nothing to say about them. You just plug them in, turn them on, and they'll actually do what they're supposed to do. It's important to find the limitations, find out these bugs or these major issues, and I try to make them better for everyone who uses them. Great. Well, David, thank you for sharing that. And so one of the reasons that you and I connected was um, we have a similar passion and interest around technology as it relates to nonprofits. Um, You are very involved in local and national nonprofits. And of course, your um, IT and security background ties into that quite nicely. And so I wanted to ask you, what is one common cybersecurity issue nonprofits are facing these days? And they don't try to understand what the implications of those non-investments are. And they do take a lot of shortcuts that end up 
being fatal in some cases and causing them a lot of grief, a lot of exposure, a lot of uh, legal liability, and in some cases, a lot of a lot of money to to fix them. And you know, my biggest bugaboo really is poor password management. It's just frightful how bad that is. How uh, often people reuse the same password, or they just add a one to the to the end of the password, or do something trivial like that to change it. And in the past few, we've seen these really laugh almost laughable circumstances with celebrities like Ellen and Lisa Kudrow that have taken selfies of their of their desktop as garment with a post-it note clearly showing their default password tacked to their screen. I mean, that's just you know, it's embarrassing. It's and uh, it's just not. Unfortunately, there's going to always be examples of like that, like that all, all the time. There's, there's no lack of them. And uh, you know, we talked about nonprofits. I wanted to relate to you this one story of an IT manager that I have known, major multinational, multi-million-dollar nonprofit, and he spent some time putting together a fantastic program to improve their password hygiene. And it was uh, quite substantial. He had to take into account that he had different cultures from around the world and different uh, skill levels. And he got ready to roll the program out and went into the CEO's office and the CEO basically shut him down. He said, I've been using the same password for this more than a decade and I'm not about to change it. And so he didn't see why anybody else needed to change their password. David, that had to have been so disheartening for your friend to have invested time and money and other resources only to be shot down because the head of the organization simply didn't want to have to change his password on a regular basis. And didn't understand the implications of that, not just for himself, but for his staff. I mean, that's just the, the criminal part of it. It's just, uh, it's just not acceptable in today's world. And I would say, you know, passwords are certainly one aspect. Another common mistake is not protecting their data or not even knowing where their mission-critical data is located, whether it's in the cloud or on some random desktop in their HR department. They, they just don't have a clue. It's not that they are trying to be difficult. They just don't take the time to understand the situation or understand that somebody's data may just be sitting there out in the open for somebody to, to walk away with. Well, David, and it's it's interesting that you mentioned, you know, not knowing where the data is. I think organizations, in particular nonprofits, they aren't aware of the need for data mapping, as you were just sharing. But also, I think there are some regulatory and just compliance issues that, you know, they may not be aware of where, especially for organizations in the state of California, you know, CCPA is coming online, you know, in just a few weeks. And so while not specific to nonprofits, nonprofits typically will use third-party providers for a number of different services. And because you're using that third-party provider, if you have operations in California or you have clients in California, you still need to be aware of those regulatory implications, so. Right, it's getting more confusing because California, as you say, is gonna have their own set of regs. The Europeans have their set of regs with GDPR in place now for a little over. Has anybody in your organization studied the differences? 
understand the implications of those differences. Know that the laws apply to your business, because I'm sure you know most companies of a certain size have customers in both Europe and California. So what do you do when there's a conflict there? I mean, it's just that's just going to be an unholy mess. You're right, but thankfully there are people like us to sound the clarion call and to provide assistance when needed. All right, and so David, given that you mentioned poor password hygiene as you know, one of the common issues that nonprofit organizations are facing, what would you recommend to help overcome that issue? Well, it's a very simple fix. You either get a password manager or you get some kind of single sign-on product. And these things cost a couple of dollars per user. So they're not expensive per month. They're not expensive at all. The biggest obstacle is just getting started with them and loading up your password collection into their systems and then changing the passwords to something more complex that even you don't necessarily know the answer, you know, know the password itself because it's not, once you start using them, you don't really care what the password is. It just fills it in automatically for you. And if you want to take it a step further, you can use an authenticator tool like uh, Google Authenticator that runs on your phone that will go make it even more complex and more difficult for someone who's doing a phishing attack to gain entry to your systems. So I, in preparation of this call today, I checked my own password manager, and I have more than 275 logins that I've entered into its, into its database. Well, David, I think what I hear you saying is there's really no excuse for not only nonprofits, but just to have password issues or, you know, poor security hygiene, the the tools and resources are available. You just have to avail yourself of them is basically what I hear you saying. Yeah. I mean, inertia, it really accounts for a lot. It's so easy to reuse that same password. I forget there's some cartoon that uh, shows a dog and, and says, dog is saying, little did I know I would become my owner's favorite password throughout the rest of his life, you know. Uh, <laughs> my name. Uh, you know, it's just, uh, unfortunately, that's so easy to do that. Well, David, let's, um, let's pivot into learning a little bit more about David himself. And so we'll, we'll ask this first question. What is your favorite musician or band? I will tell you the name of the first band that I saw when I was a teenager growing up in those years, late 70s, early 70s, and that was Jethro Tull. Wow. Classic rock. Ian Anderson still performing today. He was the front man for the group. So that makes me feel really old. <laughs> well, so it, honestly, so with Florence and the Machine and Jethro Tull, sounds like you have a thing for um, British bands or, you know, British musicians. Yeah, I would say so. But I, I like, uh, you know, the sort of the classic rock, progressive rock, old-time rock. I, mean, I don't know what you call it now, because back then that was the only rock and roll that was available. Awesome. And so, David, how about a favorite sports team? Well, I treat all sports with equal disinterest until the local team makes it into the playoffs. And since I live in, this, in St. Louis, the cards usually don't disappoint. This past year was a disaster, but at least they made it into some playoffs. 
I think the hockey team won uh, their league yeah, championship we, recently. Yeah, we, they won the Stanley Cup, and the town went crazy over that, and that was a lot of fun to see. All right, great. And how about a favorite vacation spot? So whatever my next trip that I'm going to take with my wife. Is that a nice romantic way to put it? That's a smart uh, answer, a Dave. Very <laughs> smart answer, yeah. Uh, and then, David, what's one person that you're following that you find to be innovative? So I just wrote a story for uh, HPE's Enterprise.next blog that interviews uh, Jaya Balu, who is the CISO for Avast. This is a lovely, lovely lady. She's, uh, she lives in Amsterdam. The headquarters for Avast is in Prague. And uh, she grew up in, uh, in Brooklyn, of all places. So Wow. Yeah, she's had quite a background. And I, I really like her attitude towards security and how she manages her staff. And I just got along with her really, really nicely. And she had a lot of very wise things to say. One of the phrases that she, she used in the, in the interview was how she doesn't want to just do compliance porn. You know, we were talking about complying with uh, the California and the EU regs. And I thought, well, that's a really good way to describe it. You're not just looking at it for titillation, but to actually do something real and put compliance in place that makes sense. I couldn't agree more. And we will, um, we will definitely put her information in the show notes. David, it's amazing how quickly this time goes by. And so before we let you go, I did want to ask, what's the best way for people to get in contact with you? Best way is email, david at strom.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at dstrom. And uh, my blog is on strom.com as well. You can subscribe to that or follow through Twitter. Great. And of course, we'll We'll have that in the show notes as well. And so, David, I want to thank you so much for just the time that we've had together um, in reaching out to you. You're easy to connect with, easy to get along with. And um, I just appreciate you being a great human being. Oh, well, thank you, Sean. That's very sweet of you. We've come to the end of our podcast. And I want to thank you, Tech and Main Presents, as usual, for listening. And be sure to tune in next time when we'll have another technology expert share their wisdom. Goodbye for now. Thanks for listening to Tech and Main Presents. Be sure to check back regularly for the next episode and tell your friends. Thank you.